Hello everyone, good evening, and welcome to ADV Moto Live number 29. Tonight we're talking about the KLR 650, the new one, 2022, hit or miss. There's no doubting the amazing community surrounding Kawasaki's KLR 650 is long-standing, and it's their most renowned dual sport in the United States. After 35 years and three generations of evolution, the KLR 650 is back more changes than ever. With more mid-size adventure bikes available in the United States. Will it be a hit or miss? What do you need to know before getting one? All that on tonight's AV Moto Live number 29. But first, I want to make a very fast announcement, something that we're personally very excited about over here at ADV Moto. We are continuing the ADV Illustrated Madness uh, with our first ever uh, 2022 calendar on Kickstarter. It is a single panel comic series called The Far Ride. You can see it on all of our social media too as well. But this is an actual physical product that we are launching on Kickstarter. It's already met 100% funding, but we've got some great prizes. Uh, Revit put in a $300 prize voucher for some really sweet stuff. Uh, Turkana Gear also has donated one of their uh, handlebar bags, which is really sweet. Got one on my Himalayan, but uh, there's also all kinds of other rewards on there, keychains, coasters. But uh, please visit the link in the description or search The Far Ride on Kickstarter to check it out. Any help spreading the word is appreciated, and uh, we hope that this one really takes off and people really appreciate it. But now, on with the show. Well, all right. Our feature guests tonight are no mystery if you've been in the KLR community for the past few years. Both have extensive experience with nearly all aspects of the model line, and we're really happy that they could make it on tonight's show to talk about this new model and answer some of your questions. Without further ado, everyone, please welcome Eagle Mike, Jesse Kimball, and ADV Moto test writer, Dan DeMeo. What's going on? How's it going, guys? What's the good word? Just look, look, looking forward to doing this tonight. It, it's oh, one man. of my absolute favorite topics. What, the KLR650? That's right. <laughs> right on, right on. Mike, are you checking in over there with the audio? You bet. Good to see you guys. Glad to yeah. be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, let me just ask you guys where you're from. You know, Dan and I are based out of Virginia, but where are you guys? Go ahead, Jess. I, um, I actually live and work between, I go between Virgin, Utah, which is close to Zion National Park, and Temecula, California. So I'm in Temecula, California right now. Capital Reef Dog in the house. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. Cool. Well, I'm uh, I'm in the East County, San Diego area. Lived here for a long time, and it's a good place to be to ride. Right on, right on. So you guys are not too far away from each other then, yeah? No, it, it's, it is a blessing living this, clo this close to Eagle Mike if you own a KLR 650. Right on, right on. Yeah, we already have a question from from someone in the audience uh, for for Eagle Mike, but we'll roll into that uh, uh, a little bit later. So, can you give us some background, guys, on you know how did you guys really fall in love with the KLR? I mean, let's be honest, there are you know hotter, flashier bikes out there, right? You know, but when did you guys first get into the KLR, and you know why do you guys stick with it? Go ahead, Mike. Well, I I got. Um... My first experience right after I started my shop, I was making some custom tools and a few super custom parts for a local guy. And when I finally got on, at the time I was riding all street bikes and 
I tested out a few dual sports, but most of them were too small. I'm about 6'2". I wasn't always this big, but always been at least like 225 for a long time. And they all felt kind of tight, you know, just tight coupled, not enough room. And as soon as I got on the KLR, it just felt right. And that's that's how I got started. Right. And I, I, I got started. I was living in southern Utah, uh, St. George area, riding dirt bikes, for, you know, Honda 450Xs. And I'd go into the shop. There's a local shop there that was like a, a Kawasaki KTM dealer. And I kept looking at this, this KLR. I had more and more interest in having something that was street legal, but I did not want just a street bike. And it was priced right. Man, I think the first one I bought was close to five grand, brand new, a Gen 3. It was a 2009 and fell in love with it. Started attending some events that were KLR 650, you know, organized for KLR 650s and uh, fell even more in love with it. Fell in love with the guys that I was riding with and just the whole community, everything around it is just kind of kept me locked in on the KLR 650. Right on, right on. So how many versions of this bike have you ha have you guys owned? And how many of them have you owned? I know you guys have owned a bunch, but it's so many I've kind of lost lost the mental track. Um, I've owned a lot, um, just a lot. And I, I've got an 87 in my shed at home. I don't think there might be a year or two that I've missed, but not very many. And um, so I've had all generations from the from the 87 to the then they made some changes, you know, a little later, and I got one of those. And so I've had probably 20 or more go through my hands. And he's got me beat. It's a but lot I've... of KLRs. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a that is a ton of KLRs. I got to ask you, Mike, uh, are there any that were your favorite for any reason? You know, I mean, even though you could have identical machines over time, they sort of, you know, take on their own personalities in, in a weird way. Did, did you have any bikes that... Were your favorite or or you had some memorable experiences on? I think my favorite is my 2006. It's fairly extensively modified. Um, Kerry Aspie, who passed in 2008, he was riding his KLR when he was hit. Great guy. And he had done a, a in those days, I didn't do my own cylinders and heads or have them done local. And, and he did a cylinder and a head for me. And um, then I did a bunch of other stuff to it. And it's it's got a 705 piston which is light and it's more torquey than the stock got a big brake rotor on it got the big ims tank on it and it's kawasaki green you know it's got nice. the uh, green ims tank on it so it's a gorgeous bike it runs smooth it's super comfortable um and uh, i went to uh, south dakota with a couple with a bunch of guys and met some more klr guys up there rode around for a week up there rode around washington and oregon with Wattman, both both on both rides so that's my favorite bike of all of them, but but I'm liking. I mean, none of them are bad. They're all great. Yeah, awesome. And Jesse, uh, I've gone through four Gen twos. So I had an 09, which was my first one. I had two 2014.5s, which had some improvements. One one being the suspension, which was a big deal to me. Uh, and, I had, and I had a 2018. Yeah, and the seat, and then. I, I, so I went through four Gen 2s, and then I bought a 2007, which was my first Gen 1, which is evolving. I'm slowly modifying that, and I actually have had a lot of fun just cruising around on it. I probably get more attention on that one than it, on it on any of the other bikes. And then um, I did recently pick up uh, a new 2022 Gen 3, which on nice. the free, so far on the freeway has been kind of my favorite 
bike for the longer trips. Well, all right. That's awesome. Tell you what, let's go ahead and rock straight into some talk about the new model. Uh, there's plenty there to talk about. You know, we even start with Dan on this one here. Let's say, so when this first came out, you know, they, they, they had leaked, I guess, some, some ideas about this shortly, just shortly before, like, it wasn't like the T7 where we heard about it for three years before, <laughs> before we actually saw one. Right. So they had leaked, I guess, some images out on this shortly before we actually, you know, got them, which means that they were pretty close to production by the time we heard, you know, much about it, you know, but, um, what was your first, uh, or your, your first thoughts about the new model? Uh, or your reactions to it when it came out, Dan? I mean, what did you think? I mean, I, I definitely like the new styling on the bodywork. Um, so, I mean, aesthetically, I, I really like the look of the bike, you know, as compared to the 2014 and a half, which was the last bike that I rode from the KLR. But uh, first impressions, I, I like the design and the rework bodywork. You know, obviously riding the bike is a whole different whole different story which we'll delve down into i'm sure here in a minute and how about you guys mike jesse i mean what what did you think i mean you guys are so invested in this you must have had some thoughts about it i definitely did i mean honestly i if i didn't even see what it looks like i probably would have bought one anyway just because it's the new klr but um (laughs) as soon as i saw it i you know i just aesthetically it's a little bit more attractive than the gen 2 you know, I'd probably say Gen Gen 3, Gen 1, Gen 2, as far as looks go. And then just some of the features, you know, the extra, the bright lights, the brighter lights, the, the spotlights on the adventure model, a few of those features, I just thought, okay, I need I need one of those. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? My first impression was that they did a lot of the favorite things. If I had a choice, if I was going to tell them what to build, they did uh, three out of four things. They kept the price the same. Yeah. They did FI. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, although, you know, some guys swear by carburetors. Uh, EFI should give you a little more power and a little more um, mileage, right? And you don't have to worry about the carb coming up. So, and then, so the price is the same and EFI, and they have ABS available and it's not too expensive. And then the only thing that I didn't like was the weight. So mm-hmm. I, I like it. I think it's in like you guys said, it's a great looking bike. They did a good job. I think they did a really good job on this. Now, now, how does this match up like around the campfire, right? When they, when they, when they halted the sale of the KLR, right? That was kind of like a superstar dying in the, you know what I mean? Like in the media, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, a, you know, like a superstar musician dying in the media. It was like, dude, they got rid of the KLR, you know, like at that point in time, you know, how did you guys feel about, you know what? They're just going to bring it back like the old Coke or something or or did you guys pretty much think that okay that was that was the end of the run? I thought it was the end of the run personally. Yeah. What'd you guys I, think? I you know what I actually thought it was the end of the run for the KLR650 and thought maybe they'd be bringing something with a twin in. Um, one of the reasons is it's like I have I, I I know people that have worked at Kawasaki and nobody would say a word. I mean it was there was no not even a a whisper of another KLR650 coming out of Kawasaki. So I just thought, okay, this thing's done. Done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike? I was I was hopeful they'd come back, um, but I, I thought there was about a uh, 60%, 70% chance it wasn't coming back. You know, and, and a lot of people, one thing we haven't touched on too much, but the fact that this one's EFI, people had speculated for years and years that it was due to 
was going to be killed due to smog, right? And um, the only thing was is Suzuki and Honda are still selling 650 dual sports and carbureted. Mm. So I was not positive that it was, and it was kind of due in the life cycle, you know, where how often they would make some kind of changes. So the fact that they made big changes, um, but I think that's why it took so long to come back. Yeah. Well, what were the generation years? I know this one is 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 tough without being able to look at a computer and and look these up. But you guys might just know it off off the top of your head. And uh, you know, and there was also like sub models in the KLR history too, to a certain extent. I think not not only with the more bulbous like the 2008 revision, and they had a was it a 14 and a half? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then they had a small like revision, right? But even before that, I think they had a couple couple like revisions from the first gen right yeah so the the technically the first gen's 87 to 07 and then the gen 2 is 09 to 18 and then of course we got the gen 3 and and the 87 had some unique things in the engine but all the bodywork is interchangeable from 87 to 07 which is kind of cool and uh then there were they made from 88 to 89 that was one version and then 90 to mid 96 and then 96 to 07 and uh then you know there was a, some changes in course 09 and then there were changes uh like change the frame color and stuff but then they changed the clutch in 2011 and the radiator a little bit even though it's the same or the fan and you know there was a bunch of little tiny stuff they did but bodywork of course is the same on all gen 2s so that's kind of kind of nice too so you can always find parts for your bike yeah 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 that's that's absolutely true now uh, where was the KLR sold besides the United States? Well, I get guys calling me for parts for all over the world. Um, you know, I'm from the Middle East to New Zealand, Australia. I've sent parts to Malaysia. I think I've sent some parts to Japan once, but Israel, Germany, Russia, Turkey, Netherlands, Norway. You know, I, I think, you know, KLR is just, it's been around so long and so useful and then then they had the you know and we had the a model and the e model but they had the b model we had here for a little while the 10 guy right yeah years. yeah we were just talking about that yeah. like yeah. 90 yeah and that was sold longer overseas uh-huh. and then they had the c model that was in canada and australia new zealand and europe and the uk for sure so but, it wasn't europe yeah they they had the huh. Yeah, they had the C model in Europe. And I don't know how many, you know, and I don't know where they came from, but I know guys have called me looking for parts there. Wow, wow. You know, the folks in Malaysia are mad Kawasaki. Like, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I don't don't know what it is, but the Malaysians love Kawasaki. I was born there. I've been over there. I used to ride around those little step-throughs and go chill out with the people in the sunset overlooking the water. And they would just love Kawasaki. There was more green there, I think, than I've seen (laughs) <laughs> like, like anywhere so it's really cool that you mentioned that man there's there's mad there's mad there's mad cow love over there well that's awesome so we have a lot of generations um you know and we've seen some really big changes made to this new model so how much time you know have you guys spent on one how does it ride now dan went to our junket test ride you know so dan i mean just off of a short you know time of riding it not actually being a person that's ridden a lot of klrs what were your thoughts on it? I mean, I've, I've ridden a fair amount of the Gen 2, like the 08s, um, you know, back in the dealer days. And then, of course, you know, we did the 
2014 and a half drunk it um, and the improvements they did on that were great. But, you know, instantly right off the bat, throwing the leg over it the first time out in New Mexico, you know, it just, it starts quicker, it idles cleaner, you know, the improvements that they did with the rubber mounted bar mounts, rubber mounted seat, rubber mounted foot pegs, you know, all those things were, they just stood out right immediately, you know, especially riding the road to get to the trails. You know, we had some journalists that were, you know, finicky about the pegs and whatnot, but, you know, First impression, I was like, wow, they the improvements they did on this bike were instantly noticeable right off the bat. Wow, right on. Jesse? I, I bought mine in, in uh, St. George, Utah, right behind the, the shop there where I bought it. There's It's southern Utah, so you don't have to go very far to hit a trail. So within a mile, I went off-road, and immediately I'm going like, what, it, like did they, what are the improvements to the suspension? You know, not even really thinking about everything they had into the handlebars into the foot pegs and but it just felt so much smoother than the gen 2 for some reason it kind of blew me away and then immediately you know the next day jumped on the bike i rode mine kind of a hard break in at about 75 or 80 miles an hour for about 420 miles back to temecula and immediately better wind protection a little bit smoother more power and at 75 or 80 I didn't burn any oil. There was no oil burn. And I've, I've ridden it from Utah to Temecula. And now I've ridden it back from Temecula uh, back to Utah, just straight up the 15 and no oil burn. So, so Mike can, can, can explain why better than, or he probably has an idea why. I have no idea why. I'm just glad he didn't burn any. So that was, actually, that was a big one for me. It actually made the piston round. <laughs> I've heard they do that these days with all that high tolerance manufacturing. Mike, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, on the on the oil, uh, well, let me talk about the bike then, and then we'll. Yeah. You know, the bike rides great. I like you said. I you guys said that no improvements are noticeable right away. I noticed that the frame felt stiffer. You know, because having the all one piece frame instead of the separate subframe, your seat's not wiggling around as much instead of that on that one or two little bolts. You know, on the subframe thing and. Um, so to me, it felt like a more just together bike. You know, the I think they did a pretty good job on the EFI. You know, a lot of bikes have snatchiness and um, I haven't noticed that. Um, you can make it do it, but generally it's, it's one of the better bikes. And um, so the only thing that I wish I could do was adjust the idle speed down because it, you know, their idle spec is 1500, which is a little fast. But I think they did that for to get rid of the off idle response problems that a lot of bikes have, you know, because it's idling faster. So you've got a little more momentum in the engine, you know, the flywheel. But uh, as far as the piston, you know, I looked up the part numbers and the part number is the same as the 18. And um, so I think you just got a good bike, Jesse. <laughs> Hard braking. It works. That's it. Lots of heat. Good juju. Yeah. yeah. Right now, you know, there was there was one upgrade that got, got dragged out on social media that I think people were missing. I understand why they didn't do it, because it would have definitely affected the price point of the bike, and that was a six-speed. So instead, they modified the transmission a little bit. I think they made what that top gear a little, a little taller. I mean, is that what they did? I mean, uh, from first to second, which... From for the most part on all KLRs I've ridden, the first to second is a huge leap. I mean, it's 
but um, I didn't really notice that much difference uh, between the 14 and a half and the, the 2022. But, you know, I did, for whatever reason, the first to second gap, I noticed quite a bit. It just felt felt larger. Yeah. How, just, how about you guys? It, I haven't noticed, to be honest, I haven't noticed any difference. I, I'll have to look at the numbers because I, I my thought was it was the same transmission, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I'll have to look at the, in the manual. I've got the shop manuals, but I, that's one thing I didn't look at. Yeah. I do seem to remember that there was some revision to that. I could be totally wrong. So don't quote me on that. Jesse, what, what do you? Oh, I was just saying it, it feels like a KLR. It feels like you're riding a KLR 650. So if you're a KLR 650 guy, you're going to love the way this feels. It's everything's just feels a little bit more refined from like a gen two. Uh, now, now, how about all the all the rubber dampening and stuff like that? You know what I mean? Like you know, because they because they what uh, rubber mounted the foot pegs, foot the pegs, handlebars? handlebars, and the seat. I mean, those are actually really cool improvements. But you know, rubber mounting the handlebars are things they should have been doing in Gen two. I mean, you know, rubber mounting handlebars is nothing new, and it doesn't cost them that much to do it, but uh, yeah, you definitely notice all those improvements at highway. I mean, it takes away a lot of the vibes and it just makes it more pleasant when you're cruising at 70 to 75 miles an hour on the highway. Did, did you guys notice the same thing? Absolutely. Yeah, I did. Yeah. The wind protection's better. And I think I remember what you're referring to, the changes maybe in the transmission. They 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 did some micro-polishing on fourth and fifth uh, gears. So oh. um, actually had some fretting problems on some of the later gen twos and then the third gear dogs once in a while they would break and that would could stop the motor you know or, or break the engine break the transmission but they so they they did beef up third gear dog and they they did a better job of heat treating and polishing fourth and fifth i understand and i'll check that and uh, get back to you on the on the any gearing changes sure 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 now, one of the other things that people also called out a lot was 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 the weight, right? So, I mean, there was obviously some some weight added, especially if you consider, you know, versus the first generation. But I got to be honest with you, if they stuck a larger tank and a full fairing on a DR650, it, it would probably pick up a couple pounds too as well, right? Yeah. But um, how important is that really? I mean, you know, who? how much of a difference does it make? As as far as your riding experience or your or your riding goals, you know when when you have a bike that has that power to weight ratio, it's just picking it up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Gen One to the current generation. I mean, I think it's it's almost 120 pounds difference from like yeah. the 87 Gen One to the current Gen Three 2022 non ABS base model i think it's it's about 120 pounds that's a lot of weight over the years i mean yeah. w we are america so we all get fatter as we get older <laughs> but it's 120 pounds is that's a lot yeah mike but, where do you think all that weight came from man oh the frame uh longer swing arm bigger discs um adding a few sensors and stuff i think most of it's the frame to be honest with you and, and the front really? front suspension and the you know the 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 frame attach points. They they've got a lot more of those going on. Like all the weight on the Gen Two was the weight change there was on the front end. 
you know, they added a bigger front subframe and all the yeah. body work and the heavier forks and the bigger brakes. So all that weight was on the front end. And this is kind of just more the same. It's it. I don't, as far as the weight change, though, I don't think it's going to take, take the, you know, the guys that care a lot about weight are going to ride KTMs. Right. Right. And this, you know, you've, they've eliminated the possible potential failure point of the subframe braking and the bolts breaking there. And, and the bike just feels, to be honest, it feels, hey, don't tell anybody, but it feels kind of like a BMW. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, those sticker it's, sales are going to go through the roof. Yeah, there's going to be <laughs> mad sticker sales. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the thing just feels more coherent. It doesn't, it's not as much hmm. of a rattle trap as it used to be. I haven't All lost right. any bolts yet. See? All the oh, bolts are still there. <laughs> Is the engine hard mounted? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. You know, I was a huge fan of the Versus. I was I was I was more Versus, I think maybe than Kawasaki themselves. I loved that platform. You know, we even threw seventeen nineteen custom wheels on on ours and it was just a tremendous bike. I was I I wished and hoped that they would make one. Uh, we all can hope. Yeah, you know, but the original Versus had a hard mounted engine. When you when you put some gas in that parallel twin, you could really feel it. It was kind of exciting. But then they rubber mounted it, you know, to make it like more comfortable and stuff like that. And I think it lost a little bit of its, of its, of its, um, exhilarating. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, there was this, there was just something to it, you know, but a lot of people don't know this, but even the 2008, right? Like the gen two, when they got that more bulbous fairing and that headlight, a lot of that was pulled from a model that was never sold here. It was called the KLE 500. I wish you go back to. So like oh. 2007, uh, 2006, and you look at the fairing for the KLE 500, which was never offered in the United States, you can see they pretty much pulled that off of the KLE 500 and they stuck it on the KLR. They made it larger and, 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 you know, and taller, but I always loved the KLE 500 because it had snorkels. I mean, the thing was crazy and it used the Ninja 500 motor that had a lower seat height and, you know, and stuff like that. And I really wish that they had brought that here. I don't know. I don't know how that would have been in direct competition with the KLR 650. I think for sure it would have been in, in the same market space. What do you guys think would have happened if they had brought the KLE 500 to the U.S.? And if there's anyone listening and they haven't looked up the bike, uh, go check that bike out. Just look at a picture of it and you'll, I, you'll see what I'm talking about. I personally think that bike would have sold like hotcakes. I mean, the weight was very comparable wet. I think there was maybe five pounds, six pounds difference between the KLR 650 Gen 1 and the KLE 500. 500. And the 500 put out, you know, put out more horsepower. I I thought it was a cooler looking bike for sure. I mean, I don't know about Jesse or Mike, but I really dig the KLE 500. I had, the lower seat height would have sold some bikes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and my memory is that engine had a six-speed transmission, right? Yeah, yeah. The Ninja Five Hundred had a six-speed transmission. Yeah, so that that would have been, and that was known for being a like a another bulletproof engine, yeah, right? Just yeah, rock solid. Like yeah. the Ninja Two Fifty, also. Yeah, you could you could work the crap out of that engine almost to an unnatural level, and it would just keep giving it to you. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well. You know, there is still, I guess, some rumors, you know, rumors, of course, right, going around the, the, the digital world, you know, that a, uh, that, you know, that the parallel twin could, could still be applied into 
a you know dual sport enduro kl kl line i mean what do you guys think about that do you guys think that's possible is it a pipe dream um are they gonna ride the 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 new version of the 650 um you know like the klr 650 out for a little while or or what um i mean at the junket you know, talking with the guys from Kawasaki and just drilling in and going, you know, I was really hoping for a parallel twin mid middleweight bike, you know, more performance oriented. They would just go through things like, well, we don't want to compete with that. You know, this KLR 650 is going to sell three times the amount of it as an Africa twin, an 890, a T7 and all that. And I was like, I get that. But, you know, you've got a guy that starts off on a KLR 650 and he wants a little more performance and he wants to move up, you don't have anything for him to move up to. So you just lost a customer. And he goes, well, yeah, yeah, we get that. We get that. So over and over, you know, it was just like, was really hoping for something better. By the end of the junket, I did get a twinkle in one of the guy's eyes about having a move up bike. So I wouldn't say it's totally out of the question. I think give it two, three years. And I think we'll, I personally think we'll see something come out that's a little more performance oriented. Obviously, it's going to have a higher price point, but, you know, utilizing that versus 650 parallel twin power plant. Yeah, right on, right on. You know, this is this is the thing. Like, if I take a look at the evolution of the versus 650, it's similar. It gained a lot of weight, right? You know, it just kind of got taller and more top heavy, you know, like and all that stuff. What do you guys think the chances are? that Kawasaki will go to a more sport oriented, uh, you know, version for their, you know, for their consumer level dual sports. So for example, Honda and Yamaha have a rally racing, you know, uh, uh, you know, programs, international rally racing programs. And I think there's no doubt they take the technology and the design philosophies from those, you know, from their, from their racing programs and they put them into the bikes, which are made on the consumer level. And that's why I think the T7 did so well. I think it basically answered a question for a lot of consumers, which was, I want a mid-sized bike that is low maintenance and looks like a rally bike. You know what I mean? And then, you know, and then the price point on that worked really well too. It's $10,000. Now at $10,000 of the KLR, you're actually putting it into a different category. I mean, it's almost a different basket of apples, right? So let's be fair. Mm -hmm. But it fundamentally answered the question of, or, or it met the met the demand for what I think a lot of people were looking for. And now we can't even really find them, right? Because I mean, they, there's, there's way more demand for them than there is supply. Uh, you know, Honda, I think similar to, to a certain extent, although I guess their, their consumer level bikes are, are still kind of hefty. But the main thing though is, is do you think Kawasaki will bring some of that racing oriented philosophy and technology into their consumer level uh, uh, adventure dual sports? That's a really good question. And I'll give you a little bit of history here just for fun. Right after the 08s came out, Kawasaki had a KLR owners group meeting up in Irvine, right? So they wanted a bunch of KLR owners to come up and talk to. Them. And we didn't know it. We didn't get the word, but they wanted everybody to, that had bought a Gen 2. And it turned out there was only a couple of us, everybody else had Gen 1s. But they were trying to sell us on the Versus. And you wouldn't believe. They said, why don't, why don't you want the Versus? And everybody's like, Nope, we want a KLR. It's got a flat seat. You remember the Gen 1 had this dish seat and you couldn't move around and it had the, you know, the smaller wheels and all that kind of stuff. So I think I think there's a spot as long as they'll keep the thing 
kind of dirt oriented, so it's capable, kind of like the uh, you know the spoke wheel V-Strom. And right. and I would like to see them do a 750. You know, uh, you can do a parallel twin. I love the feel of a V-twin, but more money and more harder to package. So I think a 750 or 800 would be a really awesome, awesome bike. You could be a great adventure bike, do the whole world, have plenty of power for two up, do anything with it, put a six-speed transmission, and and sell it at the same price point as the T7, you know, or maybe a little under. What do you think? Like nine grand or something? I don't uh, I think it's a great a great idea or hope or dream. The um, you know, I, I actually owned a T7. I, I bought one and I've actually since sold it. If Kawasaki could do something similar and keep it simple like a T7, not too much tech, I think they'd have a home run because, I mean, you, you guys ride enough and, and have enough friends in, in the community that it seems like most of the new bikes, and I won't name any brands, but a lot of the new bikes with a ton of tech, more expensive adventure bikes that have all the different traction control settings and ABS and you know whatever, whatever. all the tech, it seems like they're all having issues. I mean, I can't tell you how many of my friends have spent a fortune on big adventure bikes and have some that are, are overly complicated and have some sort of issue from losing a key. I mean, you lose a key with some of these bikes and you're just stranded and good luck getting a key quickly too. And then of course there's sensors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many Tons things that go wrong that the, the T7 is a good example of something that's just was kept pretty darn simple. You know, if something goes wrong, and you are on a trip around the world, you're probably going to be able to figure it out without having to plug it into a computer. So if Kawasaki could do something similar along those lines, they'd have a home run. Oh, right absolutely. On. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be a, it'd be a no-brainer. It would give that kind of, you know, chance for, for someone to step up into a new line because that happens all over the place when models, I'd say, don't get upgraded or, like, revised frequently enough. One of my favorite examples is the DRZ, right? Like, the DRZ... I love the motor on the DRZ. I love the platform of the DRZ, but similar, right? Carbureted, five-speed. And so people, once they get used to that and they want something more lighter, more pep or whatever, or you know what I mean? They go off because where are you going to go from the DRZ? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, you either got to go V-Strom if you're going to stay Suzuki or or, or you got to switch brands. You know? Yeah, but if you want a light dual sport, I mean, the V-Strom is, is, is a great bike, and I love the engines. Those V-Twins and those Suzukis are fantastic motors, right? And they've been put in everything, and they never die, right? Right. But it's not a 400. No. You know what I mean? It's not a 400, 450 thumper. The frame is larger. The thing must weigh another 120 pounds plus or 30, 40 pounds plus or something like that. You know what I mean? But as a result, they go to, well, largely KTMs or something like that, right? Mm. It's like, well, there's my sixth speed. Plus, I've shaved a couple pounds. Was it orange and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, you know, with the KTM's, like back in the day, it was you know having a, a resource for parts. But now, I mean, there's there's just as many corner KTM dealerships around the world as there are Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha. So, you know, parts is no longer a concern with KTM. And I used to hate KTM. <laughs> I mean, now I own two of them. But uh, I think yeah. those part stores are close by. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> I've really had no issues with my 1190R, just a couple sensors here and there, like you said, the tech. But, you know, all in all, it's been a great bike. But I would love to buy a Kawasaki 750-800 parallel twin, you know, performance middleweight 
adventure bike. Love I mean, the Versus 300. Versus is a blast ride, especially if you figure out you have to wind the piss out of it to, <laughs> to get you know, power out of it. But once you learn that, that thing's a hoot to ride. You know, but that is a truly versatile small bike that basically anyone can get on and, and have fun and do a little bit of gravel or something. I mean, you can't do, you know, heavy trail riding with it or anything, but, you know, you can get on a little bit of gravel and, it's, you know, it's not going to destroy anything, but you can commute on it. It's, but, it's crazy mileage. That's like when it came out, everybody, you know, knew about it. And then now nobody knows about it. All right. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, what I do want to do here real fast is interject a question from the audience. Eagle Mike is 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 a superstar in the community. So we have a question here. Let me cue this up here. What do we got? All right, it's from Kawa Dude McDouble. And the question is Mike, what is the story with the fabled KLR Stroker? He said you built a couple prototypes of and uh is that as far as it's going to go? He, he I think he wants to know if you're going to do more with that in mass production. I don't know about mass production, but we are going to build them. A um, couple things happened. I got cancer, you know, a lot of guys know that in 2018, and it took me out for the whole year. And um, and I'm still a little bit weak, you know. And and then um, the guy that was working with me on that, my local guy that could do the crank building, um, he got a brain tumor and ended up having that removed, and he, he, can't, he can't work anymore. So I built some tooling and I'm going to do the crank building here. And um, there's a guy local that can weld them. And so, and I do have pistons and I have rods and we can do it. Um, and if, is it okay if I go into a little bit of detail about it? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So the cool thing about this, this plan is we can put it in the, in the stock crank cases. We don't need a spacer under the cylinder. So we can build a stroker. It's a 762, and we don't need a spacer. You know, we, we do have to rebuild the crank, and it, I think it's best in the Gen 1 or the early Gen 2s with because they changed the clutch in, in 2011, and they took away one set of plates. And there's a few people that have had problems with them slipping. You could, you could do it in the later one, but you'd have to up the springs, you know. But the fact that it, it bolts into everything, there's, there's no clearance problems. From the outside, it looks like a stock motor and it's super torquey it is super torquey mm. so we are going to build them i i can't give you a date because um I, you can edit this out later if you want or whatever but you know like i said i'm, I'm going to be slowed down i got a little more cancer got diagnosed a couple of weeks ago so that's going to slow me down for a little bit but i am going to build them i have the parts we're going to build an initial lot of four and then we're going to build another 12 and we'll go on from there and, and i don't know about, about mass production because it's a lot of work to split the cases. You know, the average guy, and my concern is that the average guy might not do everything right. And you got to do everything right. Everybody thinks they can work on a KLR because it's a simple bike. But, one, you know, the key for be, doing a good job with anything is you got to focus. You can't, can't be sloppy. So it'll work. We'll get there. That's right. All of the screws and nuts and washers are not optional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to put every single one of them back in <laughs> that you took out. Yeah, uh, that is that is that that is the truth right there, right? Well, all right. So, uh, if someone wanted to contact you about that, what's what's the best way? Just go to your website, or or give you a call, or, or what? I mean, how do you? Yeah, my info's on on eaglemike.com, You know. Okay. And uh, yeah, there's a contact me through there that I I got working, and uh, and my phone number's on there also. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, this actually 
that brings us into the next thing here, which is, um, okay, let's get the truth about the doohickey. All right. Um, can we give a, you know, I mean, I would say probably out of, out of the one, you know, kind of regular tech questions of the KLR that circulates around the most, well, I could tell this one seems to probably be up there. So can you guys give a brief explanation of what it is and why it may or may not need to be replaced? Can I start with, based on that question directed directly to Kawasaki, they said, no, we didn't do anything different with that because we based that off of service, records. you know, service records and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, so, all right. So I guess it hasn't been done. So I'll let the other two guys <laughs> divulge on that. What do you Jesse, guys? Jesse, well, you want to talk I'll, about I'll that? Have a, I'll have a short answer. Um, I, I would say, yeah, it needs to be done. I've already done, oh, I've had mine done. I was I was fortunate enough to have Eagle Mike replace my Gen 3 for me. Uh, but on my, I've had Gen 1s and Gen 2s that obviously I've replaced the doohickey. But what I've noticed is even on a Gen 2, I would usually wait 10, 12,000 miles on the bike to replace it. And when I would do regular oil changes, sometimes if it was a lot of off-road, I would do oil changes every thousand to 2,500 miles. You know, you loosen it or you loosen the bolt, you tap on it, you know, try to get the, the spring to do its thing in there. And what I noticed is when I went to change the doohickey at 10 to 12,000 miles, the doohickey was like, it was stuck to the motor or um, what what am I trying to say, Mike? What's the component? Stuck to the yeah, it was, it was stuck to the case. So even though I was loosening the bolt and tapping on it, they were like fused together. And it came that way from the factory. So I'm going to say, yeah, you know, you should replace the doohickey. I do think it's necessary. Mark, what's the official judgment from, from your perspective on that? Well, we'll start with the current situation. A lot of people speculated that they were going to change the parts or make it better, whatever in 2022. And that's not accurate. They may, it's the same parts that they've been selling or in the gen, they didn't change it in the gen three. It's the same as the gen two. Okay. And they did change it in the gen two, but they didn't get it right. There's a couple anecdotes here. Number one is Watman, you know, he's a, he makes some parts in the KLR community also. He's got 187,000 plus on his original 2004 motor. Okay. Original rings, original chains, internal chains. Everything's original in that motor except for wear items, except for third gear, third gear dog broke. And we had to split the cases at 142,000 miles. And I checked the bore, bore was round within a thou, and uh, put a new third gear in there. He even put the same rings back in and same valves, you know, valve heads never been apart, but he did the torsion spring at less than 10,000 miles. He did the doohickey at about 3,000. He bought it used with like a thousand on it. And so the wear is greatly decreased when the system is properly tensioned and the ideal tension would be no slack and no tension, right? That would be perfect. But the rubber wears on the sprockets because the chain rides on the rubber, which helps keep the engine quiet. And so that those links running over the rubber gradually wear it down. And it were, again, it wears less when it's properly tensioned. So um, yes, you want to do the doohickey. Okay. Does that, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And and just to backtrack for a second, for those that don't know, the doohickey is a chain tensioner for the balancer. It's not the chain tensioner for for the for the valves or anything that runs at the top. It's it's a chain tensioner for the balancer. I think a lot of people tend to think that it's for right for for the valves or whatever, but it's but it's not. It's not. It's it's a small tensioner down at the bottom 
on the left hand side. So you, you know, have have pulled a new engine apart already. I mean, have you installed something on on the new models yet, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I've I've installed four of them, I think, or five of them on 2022s, and I've also looked at the parts list. You know, um, I'm a big yeah. guy for looking at these parts lists. I like to because then I find out what what changed across the various generations and what's compatible. And um, there's a cool utility on Kawasaki.com. You can actually download and print out the PDF of your parts list and, and make a notebook. And then you know more about your bike than go, when you go to the dealer and you want a part, you can make sure you get the right part. And if, if I'll tell you a quick story, it's kind of funny. I, I think calling it the doohickey kind of hurt us because guys would go to the dealer every year when the new model came out and they'd say, <laughs> Did you fix a doohickey? And the dealer goes, man, you're a moron. What's a doohickey? <laughs> That's a technical term. Like, yeah. I think it's in the manual like that. Yeah. It's like page 47-4 or, so, or whatever. <laughs> Just fixing the doohickey, right? Knocking the doohickey back into place. So you offer a few solutions for this, right? And what's the difference between what you offer and you know what's what's in there natively? Well, the biggest, there's two things that I do. One of them is the, the machine doohickey or balancer adjustment lever that I make is machined from solid. And, and Kawasaki's had three versions of that. And um, mine is better than any of them. It fits the shaft better. And I've re-indexed the slot so you can get more travel. The biggest improvement after that is the torsion spring because the torsion spring takes the slack out in the best possible way. The factory set up the, um, the spring isn't captured, right? If it breaks, it falls down in the crankcase, can mm -hmm. bounce around, do damage. It also constantly vibrates. The, the factory extension style spring constantly vibrates while the engine's running. And the torsion spring is captured. It doesn't vibrate. It takes slack out the best possible way. It, it's just a, a better setup. Wow, that's cool. And this is possible for someone to do it on their, on their own, or would you not recommend that? If you're pretty handy, you can do it. If, you know, we get all kinds of people in the KLR community because it has a reputation of being a, a friendly, easy to work on, bulletproof bike. And um, most of the time, I've got videos I send people when they order directly from me. And there's if they go to YouTube, you know, I've got stuff under Eagle Mike. And I'm, I'm glad if they call me, even on the weekends, and I know their engine's down, I'll call them back. So most, most of the time, I would say... 99.8% of the time, it's a success. And even even more higher percentage than that, but guys either that think they know everything or guys that can barely tell which hand of the screwdriver to grab, we're going to be a problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Now, um, the Kalar community, right, is really passionate about the, the brand on these bikes, right? And this is, this is kind of changing gears a little bit, going back to the rider. You know, how does someone know if the KLR is is right for them? And you know, what would be considered competition in this in this category now? There's actually not a lot of competition in this category if you look at the price point. No, yeah. not really. Yeah. I mean there is DR six fifty, XR six fifty L, that's about it. But I'd probably say in the same category, I would also put the Himalayan in in, in there if especially if you're worried about seat height. But one thing I noticed about the right. Himalayan, like there's kind of like a community, almost like a cult following with the KLR650, which I absolutely love. Yeah. And I notice, um, you don't notice that with like the DRs or the DRZs or, you know, the XRs. XRs. But yeah. I am noticing that growing with the Himalayan. 
they, absolutely. It, yeah, it kind of has a, a similar feel, the community around it that, you know, I felt when I was first getting into the KLR 650s. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on, Mike. I mean, what do you think? Does the does the KLR stand as a as a class of its own? Kind of does. Um, you know, the XRL and the DR are great motorcycles. You know, we're blessed to have those those bikes available. I don't have any experience with the Himalayan, but I think that the cool thing about the, the biggest thing is the community and the doohickey and a few other things for idiosyncrasies of the bike is what brought, created this because people had to get involved with their bike. And then they had to consult, work with other people, right? We have these tech days, guys get together, share knowledge, help each other out. And I think really think that's what um, has carried the bike. I think if the bike was truly perfect, I don't think it would be as successful as it has been. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you get emotionally invested in your, your, your sweat equity, right? Your work, yeah, right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so now that you've all had a chance to kind of kick some tires on this, right, what improvements would you make to the new KLR and tag this on to the end? Do you think the 2022 KLR generation will be the last generation of the KLR lineup? Like if you went out and bought a KLR, what, what would you suggest people do to it? And then do you think that this will be the last round of the KLR that we see before they bring out a whole new platform? Dan, you want to shoot that one first? I mean, obviously the doohickey would be uh, probably be one of the ones I would do. Um, but other than that, you know, it's it's a great bike right out of the box. Um, maybe change the tires. And I would say 2023 will be, but who, who knows? I mean, the, the bike has paid for itself over and over again, even with these, these new changes in the bodywork. You know, I don't see why they wouldn't just keep it around anyways, even if they offer something that's more middleweight, closely priced, you know, three, four thousand dollars more. You know, it gives that person, it gives Kawasaki the ability to have a move up customer, you know. So I don't I don't see why they would get away with it. But if I had to guess, I'd say it'd go through 2023. I think it might last longer as a model generation. You know what I mean? But uh yeah, it would be cool if they did bring something to upgrade. Jesse, what do you think? Uh, well, starting with a couple things, like right off the bat, like before I even did the the doohickey, I changed the, on the first oil change, the drain plug. The plastic skid plate, if you're going to ride the bike off-road, the plastic skid plate and that stock drain plug is a disaster. So putting the low profile and um, I haven't... Plug. Put the, what's that? Plug, a low oh, yeah, profile a low, plug. Low profile drain plug. Okay. Um, and a better skid plate, a tougher skid plate, an aluminum or steel skid plate. I think those are two two items that, like, right off the bat, if you're going to ride it off road, you want to um, you want to take care of. I did learn the hard way procrastinating on a drain bolt once. <laughs> so that's always like the first thing that I I'll do because if you if you crack crack your case down there, it's just a nightmare fix. And yeah, I, I don't, I, I see this thing being around. I mean, I, I would think this generation has probably got a good, probably five to 10 year spurt. As long as they, they can get away with the emissions, they don't come out with any weird new, new emissions yeah. restrictions. I, I, I see the KLR guys, you know, continuing to purchase this bike and, and keeping it in the mix as, as long as they're, they're going to be for sale. Right on, but, but, but loyal fan base. But but do you think that 
you know, after this generation, not this year, but after this generation, that they would actually have a have a next generation of KLR? Or do you think that they would keep the KLR name but move to a different platform, like a like a like a whole new platform, like Parallel Twin or something, but 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 keep the KLR name? I mean, I'm really spitballing here. That's a tough one. Because <laughs> the KLR is the KLR, you know, if, they, yes, the if it goes to a twin with KLE. Yeah, it's it's going to a different oh. model, but KLRT. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That, that's right. That's right. Mike, what do you think? You know, I think this one's good for a while. I, I think I'd say maybe 24, 25. They might, they might have decreased sales next year or they might have enough momentum from built up demand, you know, because of the whole COVID thing. But because what they did in, in the Gen 2s when they came out, they sold the heck out of them in eight and nine. And then there was a dead spot for 10. They only made a couple thousand, right? So I, I think this will go for probably four or five years. And what I think would be cool, uh, I, I would hate to see this platform go away because it's so universal. It's comfortable, easy to ride. You know, you sit way up in the air, you can see forever. You can go over a curb if you have to, but if think about it, if they made like a 500, 550, and then they made the 750, 800, had it like a family, you know, have the 300, the 500, 550, the 800, you know, have, where you could grow into each one. And I, they've got the Versus 1000, but that's kind of a whole different bike. You it's know? sport touring, really. It's yeah. more of a sport touring bike. Sport yeah. adventure. So I, you know, I don't know if they could ever come out with another bike. I mean, you think about this is the same, pretty much the same bike for, 35 years that's that's pretty incredible it's and it's one reason it's it's friendly you know the the old british 650 twins they weighed about 400 pounds right maybe four and a half had about 40 horsepower most of them klr pretty close and we've got more suspension and more reliability for sure right so what's not to love yeah that's more more parts that's right. That's right. Well, all right, guys. It's been awesome. The clock has ticked over about one hour here, so we're going to wrap up with our last question. Do you guys have any words of advice or encouragement slash wisdom to offer future adventure riders out there? Dan, what do you think? Go ahead start with Dan. Get out and explore. There's more adventure out your back door than you would ever imagine. Right on, man. Here, here. Jesse? Yeah, I would say, you know, get out there and ride. Find Find some friends, find a group, find your niche with the the adventure bike crowd. Get in there and start riding. I, you know, I always like to say I I've made some of my best friends through adventure bike riding and just, you know, being able to get out and explore with other people and make the memories. So if you've got an opportunity, if you have a bike or if you don't have a bike, get a bike, get out there and start exploring. Right on, man. Right on. And Mike, wrap it up for us tonight. 100% what they said. Just get on it and do it. Yeah, right on. Right and then on. One, one more thing, you know, if Mike wants to get into the Himalayan market, it could be Himalayan Mike. <laughs> <laughs> How many different versions of Mike can there be? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff, guys. Well, all right, guys, please do stick around. Thank you for coming out tonight. Uh, please do stick around while we green room after the show for a few minutes. Well, yeah, it's been it's been it's been totally awesome, and we'll talk in a few minutes, okay? Yeah, thank you. All right, cheers, all right, brother. Thanks, guys. Well, all right, what a great bunch of guys! Thanks again to Mike, Jesse, and Dan for joining us on tonight's KLR six fifty episode. We think big things are in store for this bike made for any road, whether it's a hit or miss. There's a lesson 
I believe in still. To paraphrase Mahatma Gandhi, strength does not come from physical, from physical capacity, but from unstoppable will. All right. And please join us for the next ADV Moto Live number 30 uh, this November, I believe 11th, when we talk about new bikes for 2022. Um, ADV Moto editor Justin Coffey will be back from Portugal, where he will have had a chance to ride the new Norden 901. And uh, they're having their junket out there, uh, I believe, beginning of November. And I will have had a chance to go hang out with the folks at Royal Enfield in sunny California, hang out with Jesse again, too, as well. He'll be ride leading. Uh, some stuff on a newly updated 2022 Himalayan. But as always, your support means a lot and keeps the motorcycle world running. Please visit AdventureMotorcycle.com for more stories, news, reviews, and videos, podcasts, and more. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Plus, let us know what you'd like to see in the comments below. Until next time, everyone, from everybody here at ADV Moto, ride safe, have fun, and don't forget, the adventure is you, you, you. Oh, yeah.